Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. Hello, and welcome to the Season 1 Summit, Part 3, here at Gaze at the National Parks. I'm Dusty. And I'm Mike. And in this episode, we're going to be covering current events within the 10 national parks that we covered this past season. Just to refresh your memory, those parks were Yosemite, Bryce Canyon, Great Smoky Mountains, Zion, Congaree, Arches, Canyonlands, Rocky Mountain, Cuyahoga Valley, and Acadia National Park. And since this episode is about current events, we have got to talk about something, Mike. Yeah, we do. And that is our beautiful dear friend of the podcast, Brad Ryan, who you might have seen on CBS This Morning most recently. He and his grandma Joy are visiting all of the national parks right now. They've been to 29. Brad has a really amazing story. He emailed us about a month ago to say that he was listening, but he also wanted to share his story with us. His grandmother had never seen the ocean before. And nor had she seen a mountain. Nor she had seen a mountain. And so it was Brad's goal to really make that happen for her. In effort to do that, they started to travel to see the national parks. And um, they are hustling. They are hustling. They are all over the place. 29 in three years. That's right. Yeah. You can follow their adventures at Grandma Joy's Road Trip mm-hmm. on Instagram. Do go, do follow them because they have such amazing adventures and also like what uh, literally Grandma Joy, just seeing the two of them brings me so much joy when I look at that profile. Yeah. Because um, they, they are so aggressively seeing so much and I am like so envious of their travel itinerary mm-hmm. and so and yes. the time that they get to spend together I it's know. like such a cool thing to be able to like spend that time with your grandma I and know. to have a shared experience and for her to be so into it exactly like, so so Brad and Grandma Joy we hope to see you on the trails real soon 
let's get into some hot goss. Yeah, well, this okay. Libra over here needs to know all of the details. Uh, let me tell you. Okay, so when we are planning these summit episodes, these four summit episodes of season one, we split the workload here. Yeah. Like, and I was in charge of looking up all of the current events currently happening. Right, in, because you're uh, a lover of history. Oh, I'm a lover of history and also a lover of research. Yeah deeply and a lover of context. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to know what was going on currently in the national parks that we visited. Mm -hmm. So, so tell me, let's get started. Like, Um, does he have a car? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, did you get every four? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you name a park? And I will tell you what the hell is going on. Do we have like a wheel spinning like sound effect? Because I feel like we should have that inserted here. Great. Great. Spin the wheel. Spin the wheel. Arches. Straight up. Here is something exciting that is happening in Arches National Park. Great. Arches National Park just literally like earlier this month officially became a certified international dark sky park. Oh, well, that's great. Yes, right? Um, Canyonlands was already mm-hmm. a dark sky park, as well as um, Hoven Weep and Natural Bridge. Okay. A Natural Bridges National Monument. Okay. They've already been certified as that. What that means is that there is what is called the International Dark Sky Association. It is a designation that recognizes like a park's quality night sky and commitment to protecting and sharing natural darkness. What was the holdup? They determine an international dark sky park if it is land possessing an exceptional or distinguished quality of starry nights and a nocturnal environment that is specifically protected for its scientific, natural, educational, cultural heritage, and or public enjoyment. There are all these like steps you have to take mm-hmm. in order to like become designated. The park officials had to like replace a whole bunch of light fixtures so that they had like fully shielded bulbs to like oh. minimize glare and light emissions. And light pollution. Okay. Right. Exactly. In last week's episode, we talked a lot about how the environmental impact of some things were really going to work towards the negative as far as parks that already had that designation. Different things like encroaching communities, encroaching hotels, and air pollution. So it's interesting to hear that Arches is just getting this designation now, um, which is exciting. It is very exciting. Yeah. And um, they uh, are excited because it will help like astronomy-based uh, tourism. Yeah. Because there are, there are huge followers of the dark sky parks. Right. And... Uh, Uh, They also just recently completed Panorama Point, which is going to be like a stargazing area within the park. That's great. And on September 21st, they're going to celebrate with a ceremony and it's going to be at Panorama Point. Oh, cool. We've been to a few Dark Sky Society or Sky Association parks. We've never really lucked out. (laughs) No, we haven't. So it's it's something to work towards for sure. So, should we spin the wheel again? Spin the wheel again. <laughs> Who are we landing on this time? Acadia. Acadia. Okay. So, here is the tea going on in Acadia. Great. It's Spell. all about ticks. Oh. So, ticks are your favorite thing. No. Because I know you just, you know. Permethrin spray. <laughs> Permethrin, you really everything. love ticks. Permethrin, your life. Folks. So, here is something interesting that is happening with the ticks. Um, 
currently the University of Maine is doing this research study mm-hmm. about ticks in Acadia. Okay. Like there are literally grad students going around collecting ticks. That, that is like, like you know, my nightmare, but uh-huh. it is what it is. What they have found is that there was a wildfire that burned through Acadia in October of 1947. Okay. And ticks are more prevalent in the area that burned. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah. Do they know why yet? The reason they say is because ticks are more interested in living in hardwood forests versus softwood forests. Mm, me mm-hmm. too. Same. <laughs> and so um, the area that burned has basically come back as a hardwood forest. Huh. And the vegetation in that area is deciduous. Interesting. I'm wondering if that's the case I'm not sure that you have this information in front of you, but I'm wondering if that's the case in other like natural environments where there is wildfire and forests grow back as more of a hardwood than a softwood. Right. Um, Um, Another thing they say is um, in hardwood and mixed wood forests, there tends to be a thicker layer of like leaf litter mm -hmm. on the ground and ticks will like bury themselves underneath those leaves. Yeah. Guys, ticks are a problem. That's like something you need to really be aware of if you're not, if you're not an experienced hiker or if you're not someone that's out there on the trails and enough and climate change is only making tick populations worse um, because oftentimes we don't have a harsh enough winter for, like a really cold frost to take hold, ticks can kind of just survive as opposed to, you know, swaths of them dying off. So their populations are just growing in number. There were so many different kinds of ticks. I'm sorry, I didn't have like the PSA announcement before I launched into this, but there are ticks that can cause you to even have like a meat allergy when you're bit by them, like you are allergic to meat at that point. So ticks are a thing that you really, really need to be careful of, not just because of Lyme disease, but because of a whole host of other issues that could arise from a tick-borne illness. So be careful out there on the trails. We are deeply conscious of it all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm like literally freaking out constantly about them. Same are, so are you. Same are me. Ticks not only cause Lyme disease, they also can carry with them uh, anaplasmic Plasmosis and babesiosis are two other diseases that they have mm-hmm. inside of them. Then they can, you know, Miss give Anna to Plasmosis. I know they both sound like drag Ms. names. Babesiosis. Babesiosis. Babesi. Babesi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. So, yeah. Evil drag queens. Right. Yeah. I think it's time to spin the wheel. Oh, okay. <gasps> Rocky Mountain National Park. Rocky Mountain National Park. You know what? It has to do with moose. Oh. So they're doing this study in Rocky Mountain National Mm -hmm. Park right now uh, where they are trying to see how moose population really like uh, use the area Mm -hmm. and use the preserved natural habitat. So what they've done is they've put collars on all of these moose that are like yellow and vibrant and it tracks where they go all through the park. And that seems like a feat. (laughs) It does. Right. Well, it is. This was literally like earlier this week, they had these aerial surveys where they would fly over and like take a whole bunch of photographs and you can see the moose based on, I mean, obviously you know where they are based on like uh, GPS tracking, right, right, right. but uh, you can see a visual of them because the yellow collars. Okay. And what I'm so I saw a video of uh, well, I saw a photo of them putting these collars uh-huh. onto them and they were yellow. And so, like, 
that is why I'm assuming they that's the thing, the yellow collars. Uh-huh. Um, I could be totally off. Do you know what they've that. discovered yet, or is the study still still too young? Oh, it's still it's such it's a new infancy? study. It started in 2017, and okay. it took them this long to figure out how they were going to like track them and oh. what exactly they wanted to know. All right. So now they're finally like really doing the deep dive of collecting the huh. data. Well, moose were not that. original to the park. Now they are fully a part of the park's environment. Um, they're not historically recorded as being there when the park was first discovered. So. I'm curious to see what the study ends up coming up with. Same. It's time to spin the wheel. Zion. Zion. Oh my God. I'm going to cry a little bit. Okay. Because I am, I am not like a real birder. Mm, Okay. I know, but you, you have dreams, right? I dreamed of dream of birds flown by. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I might get a little flaclumped over this. Okay. All right. Um, I will say, like, I did try and find happy news mm. that was happening in national parks. Great. Um, sometimes that wasn't always the case. Mm-hmm. However, this is very happy news. Great. Um, so back the in the 90s, the bird, the California condor, mm-hmm. which is this enormous bird, mm-hmm. um, it was so, so, so endangered. Mm-hmm. It was, like, so dangerously close to being extinct. Mm-hmm. And back in like 1993, there were only like 25 left mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. The government got a little involved here with the National Park Service and was okay. like, okay, we, we need to save these birds. So they created this Save the California Condor program okay. that would breed them together so that they could continue the species. Mm-hmm. Just earlier this month, the 1,000th little baby California Condor wow. was born in a condor nest on top of Angel's Landing. Wow. Yes. That's really cool. The only way they were able to know is they had, um, these two birds had a nest Mm -hmm. and with careful observation, they saw that the behavior of the two birds started to change a little bit Mm -hmm. and like literally someone had to like propel down uh, the like side of a cliff Uh on the opposite side of the canyon to like be able to like zoom in close enough to see that there was in fact confirmed the one thousand little baby condor oh, born from this program. Little baby condor. Well, you know, again, I'm just going to harken back to our previous episode. Birds are a lot of the times looked at along with aquatic life as being like a bellwether for how healthy a park is as far as if there are issues with chemicals in the environment that are causing things to go awry. Like, we talked about peregrine falcons, like really their population being decimated. And a lot of that was due to DDT, which was eventually outlawed and their populations have since risen. So it's great to hear that the California condor is on the rise. On the rise. I mean, it's amazing. still technically endangered. Oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It is still but it's good climbing that back. it's climbing back yeah, into the world for that's us. That's great. Should I spin the wheel again? Do it. Let's go. I'm going to say Bryce Canyon. Bryce Canyon. Yeah. Okay. So I know it's not like the most exciting news, but last month when like the world, you know, was super hot, the temperatures in Utah were, you know, around like 80s, 90s, Mm -hmm. even to the hundreds sometimes. Mm -hmm. However, Bryce Canyon tied with Dillon, Colorado and Stanley, Idaho 
for the coldest temperature in the U.S. during that time and at was that 36 degrees. Wow. In, at night. Wow. So at night, Bryce Canyon got down to 36 degrees. I mean, Bryce Canyon is like 7,777 feet up there. It's, That's right. It's way up there. So that makes sense. Yep. I mean, altitude wise, I'm sure. Right. Um, I would have probably, I think, as a lot of people would have clamored for that temperature during the heat waves. Well, that's great. Yeah. Some cooler temps. There we go. In there. Let's spin that wheel again, that big old wheel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> great Smoky Mountains. Great Smoky Mountains. I would be remiss to not mention the fact that Lisa Hendy, shout out to Lisa Hendy, became the first chief ranger of the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, who is a woman. Wow. They have never had a woman as chief ranger before, and she is the first one. She had just previously been at Big Ben, but she had grown up in Tennessee. And so it's sort of like a homecoming for her. Yeah, she grew up in Chattanooga. That's great. She is managing about 240 permanent and 80-plus seasonal employees. Okay, cool. For... Great Smoky Mountains National Park, which is the most visited park in the park system. Yeah, it totally is. And we've been there twice now. Shout out Lisa Hendy. That's right, Lisa Hendy. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about Cuyahoga Valley? I would be happy to tell you a little bit more about Cuyahoga Valley. Spill some tea for me, won't you? Okay, so um, back to my... I am not a birder myself. Oh. But I am obsessed with birders Mm -hmm. because... um, I think it is fascinating how like there's so much patience involved in this hobby. You know uh, what I mean? An incredible amount. And it's not necessarily something that you get to have a lot of like social community around. Like right. it's really just like you and the birds, like when you're a birder. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I'm sure there are meetings. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm sure right. there's like an online community. Yes. I haven't fully you haven't investigated deep, deep it. But yet. Every I do know some people who are birders and they just tend it tends to just be them in a book and you know that's Mm -hmm. that and you know please birders let us know if there's something we're missing here we would love to know more dusty would love to know more i would love i mean i would love to know more so clearly dusty all that being said um they discovered a new hybrid bird in cuyahoga valley national park yes and it was discovered by a park ranger who was walking through the deep lot quarry area of Cuyahoga Valley. Literally, this park ranger um, heard this chirp. He associated with this one kind of bird, mm-hmm. but it was just slightly off and was like, oh, that's new. I don't. I hadn't been heard that chirp mm-hmm. before. Got some photos of that bird and that began this sort of investigation of what was this bird. And it is a hybrid. It's time for everyone's favorite game show. What was that bird? <laughs> it is a hybrid of the cerulean warbler okay. and the northern perula. It's oh. a tiny little bird with like blue in its feathers. That's okay. beautiful. Really what this has brought up is the question of like, why has this hybrid bird come into existence? Yeah. And what is it saying about the environment? Yes. What we do know right now is that the fact that like, this one species of bird has decided to like hybrid mate with this other species mm-hmm. of bird means that that first species feels super comfortable in this area, mm. that it's sort of like settling into this area okay. and that geographically speaking, it's sort of like this area was made for those kinds of birds. So okay. that is something they do know. 
and there's a lot they don't. So they yeah. are doing a lot of work to Got the figure HMS out Beagle what that means. And Charles Darwin and figure this mystery Literally. out. Raise so, them from the dead, folks. Let's we do go. it. Um, what parks haven't we talked about yet? We have not talked about. Um, I'm very excited about this one. Congaree. Oh, tell me more about our favorite Congaree. Congaree. All right. Our so, little baby sister Congaree. Little Congaree. Every year in Congaree, they have, they Spiders. are known for their, well, they have those. We've seen them. <laughs> but they're known for their fireflies. Mm. You know, you can see them all the time in the evening. And it, I found out a lot of people do go specifically for, for the to see the fireflies because mm. they're all over the place. However, Congaree is a very special place because for two weeks in May out of the year, the fireflies are actually synchronous fireflies. So they glow all at the same time. Oh, wow. So it's this like special connection they all have for just like two weeks and they're all in the same glow cycle Hmm. and you can see it and they stay open. Like the visitor center stays open until 10 p.m. Wow. You have to like buy a ticket and like you... You, they make this special trail so that you can go out there and see them. That's so interesting. So yeah, Do and it's only for know two why weeks. Why they sync up? Yes. So the synchronized blinking is actually part of a mating ritual. Oh, and it's found at Congaree and a handful of other places in the country, including the Great Smoky Mountains. Well, look at that. Uh, so yeah, and they couldn't just let Congaree have it. <laughs> I know. Of the two thousand species of fireflies. Only three show synchronistic mating behavior. That's really interesting. Um, and that that all of this information comes directly from the Park Service. There's a minor league baseball team in South Carolina called the Columbia Fireflies, oh. and they are called that because of literally this thing. Huh. And Columbia is like a stone's throw from the park, right? Yeah. So I know we haven't talked about this park, and I think it might be the last one we haven't mentioned. But what can you tell me about Yosemite? Yosemite. So this is. This is one of the most interesting stories I have found. Oh, great. Save um, the best for last. Uh, this was However, it gets folks. into like a sort of political oh. realm. So I'm going to try to explain this. I Let's first talk about this. Great. Landmarks, places in national parks all have names. Uh-huh. We've talked about, you know, the, the act of naming something. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like beautiful academia that, dives very deeply into what it is to name something Mm -hmm. and why something gets named. And you could look at any one of these things and study it as an example of like what happens when we name certain landmarks, certain names. So this is kind of like a, a deep dive into this world for a second. Okay. Yosemite national park gets its name from the Yosemite tribe that lived in that area of California. Okay. They referred to uh, Yosemite Valley as Awani, which literally means large mouth. Okay. This was a word that they used that then later on when things like hotels were built mm-hmm. in Yosemite, they named one of the hotels the Awani Hotel. Okay. This is really important to know. There is another area called Curry Village, which has been currently renamed to Half Dome Village. Okay. We remember that when we were there. Yeah. Here is the deal. Like these names date back to the 1920s. Okay. When they were first built. Now, there has been a dispute over names in Yosemite, and here's why. 
So after some time, this independent company owned and managed all of these hotels in Yosemite National Park. This company's name was Delaware North Companies Incorporated. In the park or around the park? In the park. Okay. In the park. And they operated the park's restaurants, hotels, and outdoor activities. Okay. So in 2015, they were due to re-up their contract. However, they were outbid by this other company called Aramark. And when Aramark took over, Delaware North sued and said that when they had taken over in 1993, they were required to purchase the previous concessionaire's intellectual property, which included the names of all the places. Okay. And so that they deserved a royalty for the, all of the names of the places because they owned that intellectual property. Okay. So rather than saying okay to that, Aramark went, no, we'll just change the names. Oh. So that is why they changed it to Half Dome Village. Oh. And the Awani Hotel was renamed the Majestic Hotel. Oh. They were so ticked off about this mm-hmm. that literally they just like made like temporary, like there were permanent wooden signs yeah. in place I'm with sure, these like, names beautifully on carved, them, yeah. beautifully carved. But they put like these temporary like tarp signs over oh. them and just renamed them okay. because of that. And uh, so they finally reached a settlement okay. at the end of everything like just recently. And so literally like they had a whole celebration to like pull all the stuff down and go back to the original names. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So that was a win for Yosemite National Park. Well, look at you, Yosemite. I know. Beautiful gem, you. And and last but not least, our little baby Canyonlands. Yeah, there's nothing not little, little or baby about <laughs> yeah. Canyonlands. Okay, this is an example where I wish I had good news. Oh. And unfortunately, I don't. Now, I will say, when I researched all these parks, I did find quite a few headlines about people who had died Mm -hmm. i mean yosemite only last week like there are three people who went off trails and like one died and two are in critical condition like somebody tried to get close to the waterfalls not yosemite falls the vernal or nevada no the bridal 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 Falls. falls they went off the trail onto the rocks and they slipped on a rock and hit their head and now they're dead wow yeah yeah reasons to stay on the trails y'all like, mm-hmm. don't die. Yeah. Stay on the trails. Yeah. That photo can um, be taken elsewhere. Speaking of Canyonlands, Canyonlands is having a problem, and that is with graffiti. Really? Yes. It is really, really sad and unfortunate to even have to, like, talk about this, but that is the reality. The chief park ranger feels that this year, that next year, actually, they will have twice as much of a problem with graffiti than this year. A lot of people are coming in and, you know, just, you know, carving names into things. And, you know, it's less about like um, spray paint uh-huh. and more about carving names into okay. stuff. I, uh, from what I've gathered, there is some spray paint stuff happening uh. too, which just kills me. Um, but this, this like article right that I found... Joshua Tree problem. <laughs> right back there. But this article that I found talked a lot about this Instagram account that I did not know about, but I totally looked up immediately, which is called Public Lands Hate You. Oh. And it calls out Instagram influencers who like go and take pictures in fields of flowers that are on public lands because you should not be going into fields of flowers and traipsing around in them. Right on a public land you need to be staying on the trails on the and trails. so it's like 
publicly shaming people who do that, and it is so funny. And I was dying Get your reading Scarlet it. Letters out. I know. Seriously, <laughs> start your engines. So there we go. All right. And I think with that, let's introduce our queen. Ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between, please welcome to the stage Jennifer, Jennifer Hudson, Hudson News. News. So, who is Jennifer Hudson News? Dusty Ballard. Oh, I think Jennifer Hudson News is she's a reporter. Mm-hmm. Like she's like a send up of a of yeah, like an anchor. Mm-hmm. But like she riffs like Jennifer Hudson. Okay, she will like tell the news like with like fierce riffings. Oh. I feel like I'm getting like a very like Lois Lane vibe from Jennifer Hudson News. Yes, like, very high ponytail. She's like a beat reporter and she just like, you know, she uses a lot of shoulder in her act, I feel like, right. too. Cause she's sassy and she's, you know, she's going to tell it like it is. Exactly. And it's going to be unbiased news coverage. Ta-da. Ta-da. <laughs> Ta-door. So what does she sing? What's her song? Oh, I think it's a little on the nose for her to do a Jennifer Hudson song. Yeah. But I think she does... Oh, I think, I mean, a natural one would be It's Raining Men. Because mm. it's like, we're hi, your weather, hi, hi, we're your your weather, weather girls. girls. And have we, we got, got news for you? You just, better listen. I just feel like that's her like 11 yeah. o'clock uh, encore. Mm-hmm. And we that. sing it with her. You know, oh, that's my karaoke go-to song. I do know that it that is. and Private Dancer by Tina Turner. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think that she... Uh, starts off her show by doing a lip sync to the Mary Tyler Moore theme song. Oh. Who can turn the world on with her <laughs> smile. Does she throw her beret up You know the she does. Mm-hmm. Does it freeze though? No. No. She does, but the beret does not. So is that her, is that her fashion icon? Is that the beret? Who? No, 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 no. Is Mary Tyler Moore who she looks to for her outfit design? I don't think so. No. I think she's, I think she's like, I think she lives in the world of like TLC from the 90s, but just with like a high ponytail and a microphone. Okay. Yeah. All right. Ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between, please welcome to the stage Jennifer Jennifer Hudson Hudson News. And now it's time for our final game. So I wrote this final game, Mike, and I'm very excited about it. Great. It has everything to do with the things we just talked about. Oh. So here we go. You didn't tell me there'd be a test at the end. There's a little bit of a test. It is sometimes, most of the time, subjective. So I hope you're excited. Mm -hmm. Here we go. (laughs) We're going, this is lightning round fast. Oh, Ready? Yeah. Set? Go. The California condor program is revitalizing the California condor population. Name any other endangered bird. Um, the peregrine falcon. Great. You see someone at Arches National Park carving their initials into the side of a delicate arch. How do you respond? Um, I stop them immediately and find a ranger. Immediately, yeah. Yeah. Tell the teacher. Yeah. Uh, ticks <laughs> are all over Acadia National Park. Name one way to avoid tick bites. Um, you can um, wear layers that cover your skin, or, or you can wear like permethrin spray. Yep. That's two ways. Exactly. Yeah. Many spots in Yosemite National Park were just reclaimed by their original names. What does the name Yosemite mean? Um, it is. You never told me, but it was no. a Native American tribe That's that true. was from I that area. That's true. I never told you. Um, um, 
Um, I don't know. It means uh, those who kill. <laughs> oh. Um, all the fireflies are now out at Congaree National Park, or they were in May. Is it a good idea to bring a date to see synchronized fireflies in Congaree? Um, if you want to mate with them. <laughs> <laughs> the new species of bird found in Cuyahoga Valley National Park was a hybrid of the cerulean warbler and the northern perula. The word cerulean was uttered many times in a now famous <laughs> monologue from this film, also named the actor and character. What is the devil wears? Prada, who is Miranda Priestley, and who is our Lord and Savior Meryl Streep. <laughs> Arches is now an international dark sky park. Other than Canyonlands, name another international dark sky park. Um, Black Canyon of the Gunnison. Great Smoky Mountains National Park just got their first female chief ranger in Lisa Hendy. How do you smell Smoky? How do you spell it or yes. smell it? How do you spell Smoky? Um, S-M-O-K-Y. Right. Yeah. Why is there no E? Um, because that is about, like, that's the description of, like, a smoky room, right? Incorrect. No. Smoky with no E is a description of something filled with smoke. Okay. Smoky with an E is a name. Oh, that's right. right. Like Smokey Robinson. Exactly. Bryce Canyon is so cold, but I can't complain about the cold. Why? Because you can only complain about one temperature and you choose the heat. It's true. It's not true, true, actually. Not, it's reversed yeah, for it's me. Reversed. But yes, here we go. Uh-huh. Um, the moose in Rocky Mountain National Parks are getting some collars. If moose were a designation in the gay animal kingdom, what kind of man would moose describe? Oh, that's a great question. I feel like it would be like a gym daddy with a lot of muscles that when he like flexes look like antlers. <laughs> Ta-da. <laughs> to door. And there we have it. Gym daddy. The season one summit part three. This has been the Season 1 Summit Part 3 by Gaze at the National Parks. And we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there. Follow us on Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks, and email us at gazeatthenationalparks at gmail.com. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. This episode was edited by Dustin Ballard. All original music was written and is recorded by Dave Seaman with Mariella Klinger. All original artwork featured on Instagram is by Michael Ryan. Tune in next week for our final Season 1 Summit, Part 4. All about the hiking trails across the 10 parks we went to. And um, don't cry because uh, we are taking a small little break, but it's only for two weeks and there might be some surprises during the break. And then we will be back with the beginning of season two on Monday, September 16th.